Welcome back. This is another special episode of Edward Reeb's Buddhist Books Podcast. And this is a very small goat. If you're listening on the podcast, you don't see the goat. But if you're on YouTube, he's a small goat. Very small goat. Six days old. Okay. So, uh, thank you, baby. This is Priyal. You want to show? Show? Come. This is Priyal. Okay. Thank you. She's my wife. Anyway, you may have noticed that uh, the title of today's episode is Jainist Sutras. And you might be asking yourself, Edward, isn't this, uh, isn't this Buddhist books podcast? Uh, how come you're suddenly uh, in a completely different religion? Well, I will explain. But first, welcome to Bihar. This is rural Bihar. Um, I am at my father-in-law's house, and this is his pond. And that was his goat. Um, anyway, so let's go to the map, shall we? So here in the northeastern part of Bihar, you, or the northeastern part of India, you've got Bihar, that you can see. And if we zoom in the lower left side, up here, uh, where you see the little Buddha, that is not Buddha, actually. That is Mahavir. So he's indicating the city called Rajgir. Now, Rajgir, you might have heard me mention before, was former, formerly known as Rajgriha, uh, which means city of kings. And you've heard me mention Mahavir before. He uh, was the 24th Tirthankara of Jainism. The uh, 23rd Tirthankara of Jainism was called Parshvanata. There's Parshvanata. Rishabdeva was the name of the first Tirthankara of Jainism. Now, to uh, give that a little bit of context, if you're familiar with Chan or Zen, you may know Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma was that uh, South Indian monk who, I believe, yeah, he was South Indian, who went to um, China and stood before the emperor of China. The emperor asked him, who are you to stand before me and tell me that I've gained no merit in the, uh, in the hereafter from all the Mahayana temples I built? And, uh, and, and uh, Bodhidharma said, I do not know. And so he was cast out and he sat gazing at a wall for seven years until uh, Tika, uh, his student, came and cut off his left arm and said, teach me, old master. So he was the 29th successor of the Buddha, if you count the Buddha. He was 28th if you start from uh, Mahakasyapa. Now, Mahavir was the 24th successor. So you kind of have an idea of, of how much time Jainism had already been around before Mahavir came around. Just to add one thing to that, though, um, the amount of time between the 23rd, yes, we hear you, the 23rd and the 24th sort of patriarch of Jainism, if you will, uh, was 300 years. So, so the 23rd was in the 9th century BC, and uh, our old friend here, um, Mahavir, was in the, uh, the 6th century BC. So 300 years in between 23 and 24. So how long ago was the first? When was Jainism started? We don't know. Nobody knows. It's so old 
that it uh, goes back into the realm of prehistory. Jainism was around for a very long time. So here you can see uh, this is a, a Jainist temple that uh, Priyal and I visited just a couple days ago down in Rajgir. There he is. Oh, actually, I think that, that there is the 23rd successor. So that was the, the one that came before Mahavir. And so, but next we're going to see Mahavir. Yeah, there's Mahavir. Um, I believe I'll have to check on that. That's either Mahavir or the one who came before him. Uh, the snakes are, are making me second guess. But coming up very soon, you are definitely going to... Yes, there's Mahavir, very naked. He was a very naked man. That's one thing that can definitely be said for certain. And uh, so, yeah, again, Rajgir uh, was the city of kings. Magad, Magad, Maged was the, uh, was pre you know, what we now know as Bihar. There's the king. See, there's his, his court. That's basically what it looked like 2,500 years ago, or at least that's our our estimation. These are miniatures of Priel's ancestors back in those days. See, it's very nice. This was uh, at a museum near where we stayed in Rajgir. And that, I believe, is my tra or, uh, Mahavir's mom, uh, pregnant, about to give birth, and Mahavir was coming from above, there were angels, see all the, all the people, very beautiful columns and very beautiful architecture. And here we have another royal, there's the king. I, I don't know if that was the king with 32 wives. See, that's, um, that's Mahavir dancing. It looks like a lady, but that, that's a bald man. And that, that's, that outfit he's wearing, he gave to an animal, I believe. There he is advising the king. So he was very well known. He was very well respected in his time, right? There's some people preparing food. And there he is confronting all the demons, like overcoming all the inner demons during his, his 12 years in isolation, starving himself. So he was very hardcore. He didn't eat for 12 years, according to tradition. And so that very ascetic path was very popular in the region where he was. In other words, uh, you know, Rajgir in, uh, in Bihar. There he is advising the king again. Maybe a different king, I'm not sure. There's Priyal in a previous life or one of her ancestors. So yeah, so the, the Jainist way was very well known and, uh, and Mahavir was, was very well respected and a lot of people wanted to follow in his footsteps and take the, the vow that he took and starve themselves for 12 years in order to attain enlightenment, in order to attain, uh, obtain omniscience. Now, let's go back to the map for a second, shall we? So, meanwhile, in Bodh Gaya, here you can see that's, that's Buddha. Now that, that one's Buddha, sitting under the Bodhi tree. That's Bodh Gaya. Um, this was not a city of kings. This part of, of Gaya was a wilderness back then. And uh, very much perfect for ascetics following in the path of Mahavir in the Jainist way. Sitting under trees, starving themselves for years in order to hopefully attain enlightenment. And here we see the Buddha going through some of his trials. Well, he was Siddhartha still, Siddhartha Gautama back then. He had, here he is going from practicus into philosophus, for those of you who get that reference. Yeah, very fiery.
and uh, much like Mahavir uh, confronted the demons you know perhaps inner demons perhaps outer demons I don't know you know who knows really right people have different different points of view on that here comes the uh, the the army of demons Mara's army right uh, trying to do everything they can to to stop the Buddha from or to stop Siddhartha Gautama from becoming the Buddha and uh, and obtaining enlightenment yes yes getting there getting ready I'm just gonna gratuitously make you sit through and watch this this is by the way from uh, little Buddha with uh, Keanu Reeves sitting as the Buddha and now they're going to prepare their arrows of flame, right? Uh-oh. Is he in trouble? Is this going to... There's not going to be any Buddhism. He's going he's gonna to die, surely, before, before he has a chance to... Oh, no. How will he show people the way? Here come the arrows. And they turn into... Oh, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Spoilers. And they turn into flowers. If you've watched this whole uh, series, you've seen this scene before. Okay, so according to the best guesstimates of uh, of when these these two people, Mahavir and Siddhartha Gautama, were around, uh, they say that Mahavir was born somewhere between 599 BCE. So let's say 600, somewhere between 600 and 540 BCE, so that's a margin of error of about 60 years, right? And they say that Buddha was born somewhere between 563 BCE and 480 BCE, again, a margin margin of about 80 years. So we've established that Mahavir was anywhere from 120 years older than Lord Buddha to 20 years younger than Lord Buddha. Now remember, here on the upper right is Mahavir up in Rajgir, the city of kings, and down on the lower left is Lord Buddha meditating under the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya. How far are these two places apart? Well, back then they didn't have cars, of course. So if you were going by foot, which would be what you were doing, I suppose, unless you had a horse, according to Google Maps, it is a 13 and a half hour walk. If you take that most direct route, there are a couple of other routes that take 14 hours. But what are we, Moses? No, we'll go take the direct route. It's a 13 hour walk, which back then basically means it's right next door. So, what do we know? We know that the Buddha was right next to where the heart of Jainism was, in the region where Jainism had flourished since nobody knows when, uh, in which the kings of the city of kings uh, were advised by the Jainist masters. And we know that the Jainists who aspired to attain enlightenment following the ascetic path, uh, following the example of Mahavir, were sitting in the wilderness around, generally, uh, around Rajgir. And we know, according to the story of the Buddha, that he starved himself for seven years. Here you can see him, uh, a depiction of him during those seven years when he wasn't eating. And what else do we know? Here, let's, let's cut back to, uh, to little Buddha real quick.
Okay, listen to If you tighten the string too much, it will snap. And if you leave it too slack, it won't play. Very interesting, right? So Lord Buddha hears this, and he gets up, and he wanders over to the river, and washes himself. Betrayed your vows, Siddhartha. We can no longer follow you. We can no longer learn from you. To learn is to change. Keanu Reeves raises a very good point. But uh, one thing that, that you might note is there's a little bit of a spin on the Buddhist telling of the story, which is that the ascetics were following the Buddha and that they stopped following the Buddha when he started eating. Um, Okay, maybe he was a higher-ranking Jainist than they were. But the point is, scholars debate about whether the vows he took were Jainist. But they were. I mean, those were the Jainist vows. And there weren't, weren't like 17 different ascetic schools going on right next to the heart of Jainism um, at that time. Now, I told Priyal, my wife... Uh, my wife, I know, you know, anyway, I told her uh, that, you know, my theory, that, that he was on a Jainist path. He was literally walking a Jainist path. And then when he determined that he should eat something after seven years, he didn't make it the full 12. Um, and he, he declared the middle way. He created a, a, a schism, if you will, off of Jainism. And in a sense, he made Buddhism more accessible so that people didn't have to, like, go through such austerity in order to, uh, you know, seek toward enlightenment. Meditate. Just meditate. You don't have to starve yourself. Just meditate. You can do fasting, intermittent fasting, but you don't need to have some kind of hardcore eating disorder in order to attain enlightenment, was Buddha's point. Um, so, here's what I'm thinking. Now, you remember the, uh, the, the that analogy I was laying out before where Theravada Buddhism is like early Christianity. Jesus and the disciples. And then right after Jesus passed away, the disciples deciding, what do we do next? That's Theravada. And then uh, Mahayana is a little more loosely, the, the, the analogy isn't perfect, but Mahayana could be likened a bit to Constantinian Christianity. It's a little bit more formal. There's a ritual involved. It's for the masses. There's a priest that's conducting it and all these sorts of things. It's very Mahayana, incense and chanting and all that good stuff. And then, uh, you know, Mahayana evolved into Vajrayana very nicely. I mean, maybe strictly speaking, you could say Mahayana is like uh, Orthodox Christianity and Vatican, uh, Vatican II is more like Vajrayana. But the analogy that I gave is that uh, Vajrayana was like the Book of Mormon. Uh, but then later I, I was saying that, that Lotus Sutra was like the Book of Mormon. But aside from all that, in this analogy, Jainism would be Judaism. Um, now, of course, in the example of Jesus, his whole story was very much tied up in, like, you know, Hebrew-Roman relations. Uh, people say Jewish. Jewish refers to the tribe of Judea, which, in the case of Jesus, he was part of the tribe of Judea, but it's not as an, an exactly accurate 
uh, term in the context of who we're talking about in the Old Testament. They were the Hebrews. Um, but anyway, aside from all that, I was telling Priel that I think um, I think Buddha, you know, Siddhartha Gautama was a practicing Jainist, and he was inspired by Mahavira, and then he went his own way and became Lord Buddha, and thus we have Buddhism. And, you know, she wasn't surprised. She said, you know, everybody kind of already knows that. And I said, well, you know, maybe everybody in Bihar knows that. But not everybody in China or Japan or Los Angeles, uh, you know, maybe maybe England knows that. Surely there are scholars, and there's people who've put this together before me. It's just I'm at the point in my uh, path where I'm putting two and two together and going, oh, he was a Jainist before he became Lord Buddha. Um, and uh, there was a direct split. So what do we know? Uh, we know that the Buddha in the early Pali scriptures refers to Mahavira as Naganta Jnataputa. Now Jnataputa, I'm, I'm sure Jnataputa, something like that. I'm not pronouncing it correctly. But that was, that's a reference to Mahavira's family name. Um, Siddhartha Gautama and Mahavira were apparently from the same caste. Uh, so they, they knew, you know, Buddha knew Mahavir. Mahavir might not have known Buddha, but there is a chance that he did. But if he did know him, then he would have known him as a prince from back east who was trying the ascetic path, uh, and that he was 13 hours walk that way. And, uh, and maybe he knew that after seven years he, he gave up and left the path, or something like that. Um, but we don't know exactly exactly how much the, the lives of these two great men overlapped, um, or if they overlapped. There's a chance they didn't overlap, and Mahavir had already passed away before Siddhartha Gautama got there. But in any case, Mahavir's followers and his, the students of his students were around and advising Lord Buddha, at the very least, and the other ascetics. And the vow that Lord Buddha took not to eat was in that context. There's also a word, and it escapes me right now, and I'll look it up and get it to you maybe in the next episode, but there was a word that, they, that the early Buddhists used to describe the Jainists, and unfortunately it gets translated into the English word heresy, which of course has its own connotations from Catholicism and Christianity. Um, but the word itself, if you break it down, actually has a root which means restrictive. So, and also the Gananta, the first part of the name which Lord Buddha, according to the Pali scriptures, used to refer to Mahavir in Jainism, was uh, it also means restrictive. It means like bound with a rope. So the idea was that they thought that Jainism was too restrictive, like the that there were too many rules. It was too this, 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 this. It was kind of like gatekeeping. There was too there was too much uh, restriction. You know, the, the, you know, you can't eat, and if you eat, then you're off the path. Buddha wasn't into that, so obviously that was very much part of his. Uh, as we can see from that clip, that was part of Keanu's. I mean, Buddha's. Uh, you know, teachings, a very basic, original part of his teachings. So that's why uh, I've decided, since, you know, another factor going into this is uh, all of my Pali scriptures, the, the Pali canon, as some say, though you've heard me talk about how Pali means canon, so canon language, Pali language, Pali canon is redundant, it means canon, canon, but anyway, my Pali canon, the, the, my Pali scriptures are still in a warehouse in the United Kingdom somewhere, so I've written to 
uh, UPS and said, you know, what's up with that? And they haven't gotten back to me. So while we're waiting, I thought it would be interesting to dive in a little bit to the scriptures of Jainism and find out, you know, what it what it is that Lord Buddha would have learned after he left the princely life, um, you know, approaching his life as as a as a historical life, not as like a oh, you know, he was walking and you know, lotuses were sprouting and everything, and he was born like Jesus, you know, pointing at the sky. If you're into that, I don't mean to mock that. That's a beautiful image, and surely that is, you know bloomed from the image of him just like the uh, the god Krishna bloomed from an actual king uh, who, who ruled some thousands of years ago whose city they recently found apparently it's under the sea but anyway that's for a different podcast altogether probably uh, maybe maybe I'll do an episode of esoteric nerds about that one day we'll go there and, and interview somebody um, so yeah this is mostly turning out to be something of an introductory episode to uh, to the next um, segment, the next, you know, chapter, the next series of episodes of the Buddhist Books podcast, in which I intend to read the Jainist Sutras. This is a book called the Samayik Sutra. Now, it's um, these old these old sutras of Jainism, which are from second century BC, second and third century BC, which of course is three hundred years after Lord Buddha and three hundred years after Mahavir. So, but since I I don't have anything at least you know on me, I don't I, I don't ha own any books yet from you know that period. Then this is this is what we've got. So this is what we're going to read. Um, the this author, this man. Upadhyaya Amar Muni was considered a saint in modern day Jainism and he was born I believe in 1901 so he he's a 20th century Jainist saint uh, giving his translation and commentary of these second century before common era sutras um, namely the Namaskara Sutra or fivefold obedience the Samyaktva Sutra the Sutra of Right Faith, Guru Guna Smarana Sutra, remembering the Guru's qualities, Guru Vanda, Vandana Sutra, obedience to Guru. Is that obedience? Is that maybe it's a typo, or maybe I'm ignorant and there's a word called obedience? Like uh, Indian English, you've heard me talk about before. I was telling a friend of mine because he was. Uh, there's this basically. Um, here, I'll show you. See, yeah, that's a little weird, right? Why, why, why this for Pepsi? Okay, well, the reason is because this means swag, and uh, so Pepsi swag, right? Okay, that doesn't make sense if you're from England, uh, Canada, the United States, or Australia. But it makes perfect sense if you're from India, where, by the way, more people speak English than all four of the others combined. So. A lot of it is kind of a 19th century English that's been evolving on its own without your influence. And so, yeah, aspects of it may sound funny, the accent or whatever. It's this combination of Indian and English, and there are a few different versions of it. And there are people who speak English better and people who speak English not as well. But there is an English that's spoken in India by people who speak Indian English uh, fluently that it has its own rules. It has its own, uh, 
its own idiosyncrasies, it has its own slang, it has its own colloquialisms. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's evolving on its own without outside influence. Now, some people will specifically, you know, go to school to learn British English, or they'll go to school to learn American English, or they'll just watch a ton of, you know, Hollywood television and kind of absorb American English. Um, but yeah, I've been here for four years now, and I've, I've come to observe that there is an Indian English, and it's bigger than all the other Englishes combined. Uh, so that's interesting. Something to keep in mind. Something that maybe, you know, a, a Western-centric view might not have already noticed, and so I'm, I'm pointing it out to you. Anyway, so the, uh, did, did I get to all these? The, uh, the Agara Sutra, the Sutra of Exceptions, uh, the the Alokana Sutra, the Sutra of Introspection, the Sarga Sutra, the Sutra of Meditation, the Agara Sutra, the Sutra of Exceptions, the Katorvisatistava uh, Sutra, Obedience to the Tirthankaras, uh, the Pratinya Sutra, the Sutra of Pledge, the Pranipata Sutra, the Sutra of Obedience, of Obedience, and the Samapti Sutra, the Sutra of Conclusion. So, yeah, so we'll get the, the thoughts and views and translation of a 20th century Jainist saint on these ancient um, pre-common era Jainist sutras in order to get to know the Buddha better in a roundabout way. We're going to get to know the, uh, the teachings he received better. We're going to get to know the path he was on before he went his own way better. And uh, we'll do that up until I get my Pali Sutras or until we run out of uh, material to read. Now, this is a volume two of a set. The volume one is called Equanimity. Now, but this is just the 20th century um, saint uh, talking generally in reference to these sutras. And then volume two is where he actually breaks down the sutras themselves. I'm more interested in volume two. I don't know about you. Comment below. Um, so uh, before I close, I thought I would mention that, yeah, uh, you might remember that it was also Rajgir where the early Theravadins, in other words, the, the disciples of the Buddha, Ananda, Shariputra, you know them. There's 10 of them. Can you name all 10? It's okay, neither can I, um, but I'll work on it. And uh, anyway, so they went to Rajgir. They, they had traveled all over, and it wasn't, I forget the name of the place where Buddha passed away, but it wasn't, it wasn't Bodh Gaya, it wasn't Rajgir. I don't think it was anywhere near them. Um, they traveled all over India and preached Buddha's message far and wide. And then when they decided they were going to get together and establish a school, uh, to continue the teachings, to get, you know, this Buddhism, you know, that Buddha taught, they, they chose Rajgir as the place to have their very first council. Why? Right? Now, uh, part of it, I think, was because they knew them there. They knew, they knew the Buddha already. They knew where he was coming from. They were basically a slight variation on Jainism at that time. Um, you know, slight or a lot, whatever, it depends on perspective, everything's relative, right? And the narcissism of small differences. But the point is that they were friendly. They would have known who they were. They would have welcomed them. They would have said, sure, right? Yeah, have you can use that table right over there. 
Um, they, they all kind of spoke the same language, uh, spiritually speaking. And, 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 importantly, Ahimsa, they were pacifists, nonviolence. So, you know, as we know from the West, in Judeo-Christianity, if you will, which of course includes Islam, right? You know that, right? If you don't, read more. Anyway, um, so, yeah, when people split and they have a difference of opinion and they say, it's is, not is like, you know, or something like that, then there's usually bloodshed involved. But um, I think that the early Buddhists felt safe in Rajgir among the Jainists because everybody's a pacifist. The Buddhists are pacifists. The Jainists are pacifists. And so they, and in the early scriptures, and in the later scriptures as well, the early Mahayana scriptures apparently, you know, that we'll get to eventually, um, there were debates between them. There were, there were the, you know, sort of heated discussions between them and a little bit of name-calling, but no violence, of course. Um, and uh, so that's interesting. It's very interesting that they chose Rajgir as their place, you know, the, the heart of Jainism as the place where they were going to have their first council as the disciples of Buddha in early Theravada. And so, in honor of that, 1,000 years later-ish, in 427 Common Era of the Gupta Empire era, was established a Buddhist university, Nalanda University. Yeah, there it is. There's the ruins of it. Um, sadly, it's no longer, you know, functioning uh, in that form anyway, but they established another one in, in its name and in its honor more recently. But for 766 years, the faculty of Nalanda University included some of the most revered scholars of Mahayana Buddhism. Nalanda University taught six major Buddhist philosophies, yes, I'm reading this, including Yogacara and Saravastivada, as well as subjects such as grammar, medicine, logic, and mathematics. Texts composed at Nalanda also played an important role in the development of Vajrayana Buddhism. Naropa went there. Thank you, by the way, to Ryan from Praxis of the Obscure for this tidbit. Uh, Naropa went there. The highest yoga tantras are known as the Six Yogas of Naropa. He was known as the top student of his generation at Nalanda University. Uh, and he, he had his whole world shattered, his whole reality shattered, when a, uh, a woman told him that he had, you know, book knowledge. He had, a, he had all this knowledge, but he had no life experience whatsoever. And so that kind of like cut him to the core. And so he eventually left the university and he uh, took some of the Vajrayana Sutras with him. And he set off and he met Tilopa and he ended up in Tibet. And as a result of that, the Sakya, Kagyu and Gelugpa uh, schools um, of, of monastic Tibetan Buddhism were formed and developed. So that's interesting. So yeah, Nalanda University had a, a huge effect on, uh, you know, and a lot of Mahayana was developed there, and Vajrayana, as we mentioned, and I believe Nagarjuna was going on there, but we'll, we'll verify that in later episodes. And, of course, sadly, uh, Nalanda University was destroyed in 1193 Common Era by Muhammad bin Bakhtiar Khalji and his army. So the story has a sad ending. 
But it wasn't the end of Buddhism, was it? Right? Because you and I are having this one-sided conversation. I forgot to show you this. This is Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree. So today we didn't get to any of the readings, but it's okay because we've got it all set up and now you have a context as to why uh, we're going to be reading this book when I'm back in Delhi, which will be just in a few days. So nice breeze, isn't it? All right, well, thank you all for, you know, joining me. And as always, thank you for going on this ride with me. And, uh, you know, just a reminder that if you want enlightenment, you know, this isn't the podcast for enlightenment. This is the podcast for, you know, some nerdy book knowledge. And you get to follow me on my on my quest to uh, to fill my head with a lot of data and fill in a timeline, all of which has nothing to do with the path of enlightenment except peripherally in a historical sort of scholarly nerd sense um but yeah a good solid 15 minutes of silent meditation or if you're if you have a noisy neighborhood headphones i think are okay you know some people will tell you oh absolutely not silence only <laughs> so where are you going to get silence when you have to get up tomorrow morning and you know the people honking outside right so yeah headphones are okay in fact uh i'll i'll refer you to uh Here's something you can listen to on your headphones while you're meditating, if you'd like. <clears throat> yes, yes, thank you. Oh, wow. They're all looking at me. Huh, all the goats. Okay, so uh, we'll close, as usual, with the meditation or the uh, the prayer that my, my father and I used to perform at the end of our daily meditations, with the sounds of goats accompanying harmoniously in the background. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.